Welcome to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. Follow me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane. I'm joined always by Sean Martin. You can follow him at Sean Martin NFL, where they can do what, Sean? Hey, join the conversation. Come uh, tell me what's a good summertime activity in Austin for someone that isn't quite ready for the hundred degree weather. I was here last summer, which isn't my first Texas summer, so I'm not saying that as someone that hasn't lived it. But man, it got here early this year. I wasn't quite ready for uh, the stifling heat, and it's here so that's what's up down here right now. Yeah, how about burn up and pay double the energy prices? Yeah, it's the first weekend in a while. I hadn't got my kayak out, but I had some people asking. I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll go if it's not too hot. And I just didn't have the energy to go sweat it out and, and be out there. So I'll try to go during the week if I have an early day from work maybe. But yeah, I've not, have not been out on the water this weekend. Yeah, I it, I went by the marquee at church on the way to um, a uh, fast food establishment that claims that it has Mexican cuisine. I think we all know which one. And I saw on the marquee it said 100 degrees. So that was up here in northwest Arkansas, too. And then on my phone, it showed 106 in Fort Worth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did see it in a new Jurassic World. Oh, oh, we should have got to that in the spaces. That would have been a good one. Um, but, hey, yeah, yeah it, burn up. Uh, our subscriptions to the Hidden Yardage podcast by subscribing to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. We're part of the Blog and the Boys podcast network. So, Sean, we've wrapped up OTAs. Mandatory minicamp is this week, June 4th. I mean, June 14th through 16th, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And now it starts to get a little more serious. But I think that with... The Cowboys, you can see some of the Mike McCarthy influence, whether it's the veterans and the and the rookies melding well together, whether it's the approach that Mike McCarthy has about Dalton Schultz missing the last week of minicamp and, you know, understanding that, hey, it's business. And another way that I think having Mike McCarthy around that's been helpful is in the development of Micah Parsons. What do I mean by that? With... Mike McCarthy, remember that when the year he won the Super Bowl, that was the second year that he had Clay Matthews. That was the second year that he had Dom Capers, a renowned defensive coordinator, as his DC in Green Bay. So I kick it to you. You think that having Mike McCarthy around someone who was there with the development of Clay Matthews might be a good thing to happen for Micah Parsons? Well, I think it's a significant part of, you know, how Parsons has come in here and done what he did just so soon in his career to really take hold of the Cowboys defense. I mean, he showed up here and the way the media was reporting that, you know, he was already acting like a 10-year veteran basically. And then the way he handled everything Dan Quinn threw at him as far as responsibilities in the defense, it was just amazing, you know, how quickly we forgot he was the first-year player with so much room to grow. And so the good thing about how McCarthy handles that is, you know, he's been around the block and he knows how to delegate at this point. He doesn't act like he's the coach who has all the answers, you know, when it comes to defenses and things like that. He's He delegates, so he has a great defensive coordinator in Dan Quinn. The Cowboys are very excited to have both McCarthy, Quinn, and Kellen Moore uh, still coordinating the offense. So between your top three coaches still being back, they believe in how those three coaches are going to develop 
the entirety of this roster and you know what player should he be more excited about developing than Parsons because if he, if he can get any better from what he did last year, it's just going to be a show for all 17 games. They're going to have to probably use him more as a pass rusher, and I think he's ready for that. He's also going to have to fill you know, a bigger series of linebacker, though, because they don't, they don't necessarily know who's going to be starting next to him at linebacker. So whatever they have ready for Parsons this year, between him and Quinn, they'll be ready for McCarthy's role in that is just to kind of you know observe and realize that he has a great player and a great coach that are doing some great things on the defensive side of the ball, and he can use his expertise elsewhere, which is um, you know, which is probably to help this offense what needs the most right now. So yeah, Parsons coming in is almost a veteran type rookie player, which is weird to say, but McCarthy got hired, you know, certainly as a veteran coach here, um, trying to get back to a Super Bowl, which he did with Green Bay. So they they go together very well, as does Parsons and Dan Quinn, and that's kind of the driving point for what this defense is going to be uh, this season. When you have a guy like Parsons, a guy like Jaron Coase, you put them together, and that's kind of the core of your leadership right now on that side of the ball. The thing with Parsons, like you said, he's a leader, but it looks like they're committed to keeping him versatile, and I think that that's really going to bode well for the defense. And McCarthy referenced that that's what they did with Clay Matthews in Green Bay was they, you know – they didn't just line him up on one side of the ball. As a matter of fact, if you look at Matthews, he started out as a left outside linebacker in their 3-4 scheme, then moved to right outside linebacker, which I believe was also DeMarcus Ware's position. Um, So they moved him around a little bit. They would line him up as a nickel sometimes, and they would do that to just create some targeting issues for the the offense so that they couldn't count on the protection of, all right, he's always going to come from here or this side or, you know, we can account for him there. And they're doing the same thing with Micah Parsons. They're committed to that versatility, and that's what I'm saying is if they would have had another coach, one who just said, you know, we're just going to line up Micah over here when he rushes, and, you know, just rush from here, Micah. But they're moving him around. I think that they're committed to that. Um, they're committed to Parsons rushing from different angles to get those one-on-ones, to get those uh, free hits. And that I think that th- that's where McCarthy and everything that he has seen before really helps someone like Michael Parsons. Because you also got to remember that Mike McCarthy uh, was there in Kansas City from 93 to 98. So, yeah, he was on the offensive side of the ball. But he was on the same squad as the late Hall of Famer Derek Thomas. So I think he knows how disruptive – edge rushers like Michael Parsons can be. One thing that kind of got swept under the rug, but I thought was significant at the time it happened was Mike McCarthy's interview on the Rich Eisen show this off season, when he had to address a lot of things that were going on in terms of how comfortable he felt, you know, with just his job security and his relationship with Jerry Jones. And one thing he said that was really interesting that has stuck with me was, you know, talking about Dan Quinn and 
kind of how comfortable he was knowing that Quinn was getting all these head coaching looks from other teams, but yet he was back in Dallas. So did he feel kind of threatened by that to know that you have, you know, a coach below you that other teams really saw as a head coach? It just didn't happen for him this cycle because of Quinn's desire to be back here and work with a guy like Parsons. McCarthy pretty much said, yeah, if it was younger in my career, I would have, you know, been telling Quinn to get the hell out of here and, you know, wanted to protect my own job, knowing that Quinn is such a star. But he said he's very confident in where he's at right now. He doesn't feel threatened because he's been around long enough to know, you know, what his line is and what Dan Quinn's line is with the defense. And they're both very happy to just do that. And Quinn's line is certainly not only keeping Parsons versatile, like you said, but I think what's going to help Parsons the most is a lot of his teammates are pretty versatile going into this year too. You know, Randy Gregory was kind of just that right defensive end but he's been replaced by Dorrance Armstrong, who can do a little bit more. Armstrong can rush from the inside. He can even play some left end for you if you want to move Demarcus Lawrence around. You have Jalen Coase, who plays in the box and back there at safety. You have flexibility at corner. So I think, you know, Dante Fowler is a new pass rusher that came in who can rush from almost anywhere. Uh, Chauncey Goldston plays inside or out. Osio Diggerzilla can play one tech or three. So this entire defense has guys that, can keep the, the opposing offense guessing in terms of where they're going to line up. And then you can almost forget where Mika Parsons is when he lines up, and that's certainly not a guy you want to forget where he is because he'll get in the backfield in a hurry. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is I think having not only just a Super Bowl winning coach, but just someone who's gone to multiple conference championship games and had uh, the greatness of Clay Matthews and – Derek Thomas, I think someone who's been around that much football and understanding how to utilize and keep Micah Parsons versatile, I think that that you know that's going to bode well because in that Super Bowl season, it was really Clay Matthews that kind of led the Packers. Um, he had thirteen and a half sacks, led the team in sacks. Uh, he was second in Defensive Player of the Year voting. He was a first-team All-Pro. That was arguably the best year of his career, um, which, you know, unfortunately, you have an 11-year career and then your best year is in your second year overall. But um, Mm -hmm. nevertheless, I think that just having someone like McCarthy to uh, just have that wisdom and that experience, I think that that's going to help Dallas. And that's what I mean. There's certain elements of – this team going into an actual real offseason with Mike McCarthy that, to me, dissipates the negativity. Even though you had Randy Gregory gets away or we like our guys and there goes Amari Cooper and all this kind of stuff. Um, I There's certain, like I said, elements of just having the stability and, and experience and level-headedness of Mike McCarthy I think benefits the team. Yeah, McCarthy's been for a lot that you know we didn't necessarily expect when he got here in terms of just you know coaching questions and concerns and all kinds of things that you know he he's even admitted have even taken him by surprise a bit. But there's really not much he hasn't seen, right? You know, you're talking about his past experience going all the way back to Kansas City, and then he's of course best known for his work with the Green Bay Packers. So he's been to some of the best organizations. He's been around with some of the best coaches this league has had to offer, and he's been there and done that. So, you know, we all think that 
in some ways has been dealt, you know, an unfair hand with the way that he was brought in with a strong veteran roster to try to get him over the top and bring them to where they need to be the same way he is towards the end of, you know, his potential coaching career. And now he's here as a coach, you know, trying to really implement his own way of doing things with a young roster that he, of course, hopes and the rest of his coaches along with him hope, you know, they could be here long enough to get him right back to that point where they were last year, at least at the very least, which is a wild card loss. And then even go beyond that, of course, and, you know, take Dak Prescott to where he wants his team to be. So there's very few things that McCarthy hasn't dealt with. We think that, you know, for added drama that the Cowboys have really, you know, changed him or made him a different coach or that he has, you know, he's seen new things here that he shouldn't have to deal with because of his, his relationship with the Joneses and all that. But, you know, really when it comes to football and X's and O's and just being in the building every day with his players, you know, McCarthy is very comfortable, I think, with where he's at. And he has an off-season program to do that now. And that's always where coaches are going to be most comfortable, of course, is in an actual program, working with the team and players, you know, doing football things every day. So, yeah, that's been a huge benefit for him. And I'm sure it's a benefit for Quinn and Moore as well and all of these coaches as we get into minicamp next week. And then we'll take the break and go ahead and do it in training camp. Yeah, and one of the things that they've been working through and during the off-season workouts and in mandatory minicamp is swing tackle. So you figure Tyron Smith, left tackle, Terrence Steele, right tackle. Who's your swing tackle? Who's going to be your new Terrence Steele now that you let Lyle Collins go? And Ty Naseki walked. Is Josh Ball going to rise to the occasion? Or is Matt Willetsko, is he going, the rookie, is he going to become the swing tackle? What if you had a rookie in Matt Willetsko as your swing tackle? Would you be comfortable with that? I would probably confer around the term new Terrence Steele. Like he, you know, he started pretty much one season, and now it's like he's a bona fide, you know, guy that we want to replicate as far as having that type of uh, that type of player out there, as opposed to asking Steele to, you know, prove he can actually be the right tackle, which I think is the boat he's actually in. But you know, let's go as a long way to go, I think, to be a consistent player. But you'd still like to see him buck this trend the Cowboys have had of fifth round picks, you know, not doing anything. I mean, I was looking at where he was drafted in the fifth round and then what the Cowboys have done in the fifth round in recent years. And, you know, I almost had to scroll all the way back to like Orlando Skandrick to find a guy who was a significant name. I mean, their fifth rounder since 2018 were by year goes Mike White and then Michael Jackson and Joe Jackson and then Bradley and they, you know, last year, Simi Fajoko, who has a chance to, you know, do some things this year and earn some more snaps. But I don't know if the arrow was pointing too high up with him. And then this year you added all in the fifth round, Deron Bland, Oletsko, who we're talking about, Damone Clark, who's pretty much going to get pushed to 2023 to see anything from the linebacker out of LSU. And then Arkansas defensive tackle, John Ridgeway, who might be in the mix, you know, in a pretty crowded depth chart at DT. So, you know, Deron Bland is a chance at cornerback maybe, but beyond that, you would hope Oletsko can be the guy who makes his trend a little bit better for the Cowboys getting deaf in the draft because it seems to be that's where they're putting all their eggs uh, in the basket these days. They have a lot riding on last year's draft, this year's draft, and the drafts to come if they're going to maximize some of these veterans and Prescott that they have on the roster. So you do need a swing tackle. You spoke to the importance of that position last week on the show. It did a good job with that. So you need it to be either a let's go or a ball. 
you know, as much as I'm saying that you'd like it to be a let's go so that your fifth round picks can work out. Ball is a fourth round pick. You haven't done that much better in that round, but at least you can say with Ball, he's had a year in the Mike McCarthy system, whatever that may mean in different aspects in the Kellen Moore system. And you want that to mean something. So, you know, I don't know if you should be rooting more for Ball or let's go, or it's just be an open competition where, you know, the best man wins. But, yeah, they're definitely going to need that swing tackle position worked out. You're probably going to need, you know, a contingency plan for, at the very least, Tyron Smith for a few games and very possibly, you know, Terrence Steele to compete for that right tackle job. And I think Oretzko can get to that point where he's at least, you know, on the same level as Steele and then you feel comfortable with that. Yeah, I think long-term, Oretzko has potential to develop into a starter. And by the way, compared to the rest of the NFL, over the past two drafts, you've really only had five starters um, that have come through the fifth round. Bryce Hall, the cornerback for the Jets. Receiver Darnell Mooney for the Bears. But, you know, they'll play anybody at receiver. Uh, Cornerback Kendall Vildor. uh, Shane Lemieux, the guard for the Giants. And then uh, defensive lineman added Takumbo Agundijay from the Falcons. So, really, those fifth rounders, uh, they're kind of hard to hit on for everybody. Yeah, they are, but that just hammers home the point of, you know, not building this Cowboys team through just the draft like they're trying to do. You know, they really have so much riding on this draft. And like we did in the first segment, you know, is that what Mike McCarthy was, was really brought here for? Or was McCarthy brought in with a roster that already had a lot in place, plus a good, you know, drafting, scouting department, front office, all that, so that they could continue to build after McCarthy already, you know, kind of put a system in place where they'd be successful. But now he's almost back to square one in some aspects in terms of, trying to put those systems in place because he has a full offseason now, trying to develop players who haven't proved a whole lot yet. We don't really know if you know that's his strong point or if that's what he's going to be given the time to do, depending on you know how patient the Joneses are willing to be with uh, the Carvey to this point. And, of course, the Sean Payton rumors are going to be circulating. So it's not just something you can pin on the Cowboys, you're right, in terms of you know why can't you get fifth-round players to get out there on the field. It just it gets hammered home more here because of how much they preach the draft and then only come away with one or two starters. And in any year, even your best year, that's just not enough to deal with the, the usual wear and tear on a roster or what you're going to lose in free agency. And especially hasn't been the case this year because of how many starters they've already lost from a team that you know went to the playoffs last year. Yeah, with regards to fifth-round picks, they just either need to package them and move up or try to trade back and get capital because they're clearly, as you said, I mean, the Will McClay era, 2014. I mean, there's really nobody that you can point to. Um, maybe Devin Street, okay, in 2014. Other than that, I mean, there's really nobody. I mean, yeah, they hit on Mike White, but that was for the Jets. It wasn't really for them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they may need to change their strategy around with fifth-round picks. But when it comes to Trayvon Diggs, here's a guy that was a second-round pick. In Dallas, I mean, they, they'll – mean, when they hit on a second-round pick, they really hit. And I think that that was some of just the trickle-down effect of CeeDee Lamb going in the first round. You're able to then get someone like Diggs in the second round. And the thing with Diggs, though, is 
he's a 50-50 ball kind of guy. But they don't other teams don't seem to be shying away from Diggs. They still take their chances with Diggs, albeit he you know, he's only had two years in the league. Um do you think that in year three we're gonna start seeing teams not target Diggs so much? Kind of like Deion Sanders, how he would delete one side of the field. Yeah, I think in some ways you might, you know, the Cowboys the ability to take the ball away last year really did cover up for you know a lot of analytical trends that you know are pretty negative in terms of just what we might see this year if those turnovers don't continue, which is usually something that you do see from year to year. A lot of volatility in that department, but they gave up nine percent of their pass plays that they gave up went for explosive plays, and that's twenty plus yard plays, and that's usually the best indicator of if a drive is going to score if an opposing offense puts together, you know, one or more of those plays, uh, the chances just keep going up from there that that drive is going to go in the end zone, of course. But if you get, you know, unexpected turnover or a tip ball like the Cowboys did so well, then you can buck that the other way. But yeah, 9%, that was, uh, you know, the 26 in the league. The worst percentage was the Jets at 12, so not a lot of disparity between, you know, 9%, 12%. And that's where you talking about, you know, these opposing quarterbacks being able to hit some big plays uh, outside of just targeting digs. You know, yes, they did get some big plays on digs too, so you're not going to totally see him just wash out half the field, but there were big plays given up by, you know, the entire Cowboys defense and by a lot of guys who are still here, so quarterbacks can target them as well. They were first, though, in successful um, passes allowed, you know, first in defensive-wise, that is, Successful passes deemed a pass play that was 40% of the yards to go on first down, 60% on second down, and of course 100% conversion rate on third or fourth down. So those types of passing plays, you were the best defense in the league and not giving those up. So you had some timeliness in this defense. You had digs, you know, knowing how to lock it down when he wanted to. So I do think the ball is still going to find him. You're still going to see quarterbacks and short yardage especially go after him. I don't think he's a guy who mechanically can really get onto those, you know, short routes uh, all too well yet. You know, so things like crossers and slants, you can kind of take advantage of him there. And then he'll kind of look for somebody else to make the tackle. And that's where, you know, Curse would come over. Or Parsons would be able to get there and get a hand on it and make a big hit or force the quarterback to look elsewhere. So, yeah, maybe we're a year away from being a year away from Trayvon Diggs being just a guy who you never throw towards. But this year, I do think the ball is going to continue to find him, and it's going to find you know whoever else the Cowboys do end up settling on uh, in the secondary. But that includes Diggs this year as well. Yeah, I think that with Diggs, even though, as Mike McCarthy says, the when they throw 50-50 balls his way, well, the odds are so in favor of Diggs that you know, it's more like 60-40 or... 70-30 in favor of Diggs, but you saw how San Francisco was able to have some success against him. You saw how um, other teams were able to, hey, get their 40 or get their 30. I mean, look at the look at the Raiders. I mean, they had success against Diggs. Um, so I think that teams are going to look at the tape this offseason and figure out what he did, where his vulnerability is. 
on those 50-50 balls. And I think they're going to try it, and we'll see if Diggs adapts. If he adapts, then I think that he effectively deletes that side of the field like Deion Sanders used to do. Um, because Deion Sanders, if you go look at his stats, he never had double-digit interceptions in his career. A Hall of Famer, and he never had a season where he had double-digit interceptions. And that was just because of how athletic he was that teams just gave up on the whole notion. So with Diggs, I think that he's got to prove it this year that you can't win at all. He's got to take those 50-50 balls, let's say, and they've got to be 80-20-90-10. And then I think teams just give up throwing his way. And Diggs have 11 interceptions, so he's already had the double-digit production last season. And, you know, I think it's a great, you know, the great philosophical debate of defense. You know, what do you value more, pass rush or coverage? Does the coverage set up the pass rush? Does the pass rush make the coverage what it is? And, you know, this year you've certainly certainly lost more in the pass rush department than what you had in the secondary last year for Dan Quinn's defense. So does that mean he's going to have to get even more aggressive to actually make those pressures and get to the quarterback? And I think that the only way to answer that is going to be how confident he is in the in the secondary to develop and digs to make another step, like you said, and do those things, taking the ball away at even a higher rate and just being more consistent. If you can trust, you know, not only Diggs, but guys like Anthony Brown or Jordan Lewis or Malik Cooker back there at safety, you know, to do all those things, then you can dial up more of those pressures and be comfortable. I think Quinn's an aggressive coordinator. You know, we, we might see him dial up those things anyway and just go full, you know, send the blitz and see what happens type of deal. But if he's getting burnt, you know, because of those blitzes and guys aren't holding up at all in the back end, then that's going to have to change. And then quarterbacks could have more time in the pocket. And that's especially when you can look towards digs, you know, later in the down where things might break down a little bit more. If you can get that separation and that ability on them, you can get them, you know, trying to make a tackle in space after the catch has been made. Those are some things that are liabilities in digs game right now. So it's going to be real interesting to see, you know, just how much Dan Quinn has to reel in uh, his ability to get after the quarterback this year for the sake of, seeing just what he has in coverage. I don't know. I, I don't think the defense is going to be an issue this year. I just, with the continuity of having Dan Quinn back, even with some of the question marks at defensive end and linebacker, I, I, I'm just too confident that Dan. In Dan Quinn, we trust. I mean, flip the ball cap backwards and he gets everybody fired. Yeah, up. that's right. That's right. If Dan Quinn were gone and let's say – you you had another defensive coordinator, then, okay, like Joe Witt finally gets his chance at defensive coordinator. Okay, maybe, you know, because he's a first-time defensive coordinator, but no, it's the second year under Dan Quinn. I just think there's too much continuity, and he knows too much about this personnel, too much about this defense, that he would be able to figure something out if those problems cropped up in October. Yeah, wasn't it such a weird feeling last year after Cowboys games on most Sundays? Like, you know, they would still win, but it was one of those ugly games where we watched, like, the defense contribute more to the win than the offense and defense even, you know, completely bailing out the offense in some cases. That just hasn't been the case for so long in Dallas that, you know, it's like, yeah, we won, but, like, you felt almost like 
grimy about it right it was like yeah this isn't supposed to be how it is like it was that weird unsettling feeling that like a lot of fans were watching this team win in a way that they haven't really ever before i know i certainly haven't you know seen the cowboys defense with the consistency and the aggressiveness and you know the ability to make big game-changing plays and even put points on the board themselves like we did last year under dan quinn so we were watching that happen and still happy that the team was winning of course but you know, sitting here saying, like, this isn't how they're supposed to be winning. This isn't necessarily how they're built to win right now. Um, and it could be a problem, you know, as we go forward. And it turned out to be a problem in the playoff game. But now, you know, Quinn having the all-season program and year two and continuity, like you said, it could be more of this team's actual solidified identity where, you know, you do have to prepare for this defense. And the offense will come along. You should still be worried about, you know, scheming against Dak Prescott. Oh, that's great. But, yeah, Dan Quinn's defense is a problem for offenses around the league, and that's a great thing to say and not have it take you by surprise, not have it you know, be something that one week you can count on and the next you're not sure what you're going to get, but the week in, week out consistency that you know Quinn's defense is going to hold teams to you know, roughly this many points. Let's call it you know, that 20 to 24 range is probably what you're hoping for this season, and then the pressure shifts over to Kellen Moore, Mike McCarthy, and Dak Prescott to get this team in the end zone three or four times a game and be good enough to win. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is I, I'm i not worried so much about Dan Quinn in the defense. You figure that they'll figure it out. Who didn't figure it out was, like you said, Mike McCarthy and, and Kellen Moore. They got punched in the nose somewhere around the time Dak Prescott came back from his calf uh, injury, so Denver – and they just kind of never really figured it out. And like you said, it, they're, the defense, they bailed them out sometimes. You go from the New Orleans game through the rest of the schedule, and the defense was averaging four takeaways a game. And I think the best example was in Washington at FedEx Field, that game. That was entirely the defense that saved the day on that one. Oh, yeah, the Armstrong scoop and score in that game, you know, definitely gave him a big spark. And, you know, it was supposed to be the Washington defense, right, this year that kept him as a potential contender uh, in the division. Everyone was worried that this defense was just too much to overcome for the entire division. Even Prescott wasn't going to be able to figure it out. And, you know, like you're saying, he didn't necessarily play his best game in that specific example. He might not be the reason that you finished so much uh, better than Washington throughout the year, at least in that game but he won all those other games that Washington couldn't get because the defense either underperformed, which certainly was the case, and they lost Chase Young later in the year, or you know the Washington offense just wasn't nearly enough, which is something the Cowboys went through, but at least they had you know more consistent, stronger defense, which wasn't expected going into the year. And now Washington has you know some of those same pieces coming back on defense, but they're trying the Carson Wentz experiment, which we've, of course, seen front and center in the NFC East before, so kind of a similar outlook for them this year. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. 
And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, everybody's experimenting, kind of like the Miami Dolphins with former Cowboys 2018 second-round pick Connor Williams. They're experimenting with him at center, and he got some first-team reps at center, and he said that it brought out it brings out his strengths. He says that it's been smooth. He says that he really enjoys playing center. So, Sean, do you think that the Cowboys missed a chance by not emphasizing Connor Williams play center during his last year with the Cowboys? No, I'm not buying this. We've had so many weird things come out of these Dolphins practices already. I mean, there was the day that they got completely dragged on social media for posting a a Twitter clip of Tua throwing a deep ball to Tyree Kill, but he could barely reach him, so it was basically like a 70-yard stop route because Hill had to just wait for it to come down like a punt, and the, and the throw was a duck, and they still posted it as like a dime type of throw, and everybody just completely dragged him. So we had that. Now now we had, uh, I think it was Hill saying that recently that he thinks Tua was the more accurate quarterback to Patrick Mahomes, just trying to stow stuff up there. So I don't know what's going on there in Miami, but I know that Connor Williams – you know, playing center, at least in my years, watching him here at left guard for the Cowboys and watching his tape at Texas as well. I don't see in any way that that makes up for, you know, what his deficiencies are. I think Cowboys fans pretty well understand what he struggled with. The holding penalties, yes, maybe they got blown out of proportion, but there's a reason, you know, he was in a position to draw so many penalties where refs were noticing, you know, him just getting bull rushed and having to reach and grab and not being able to get his arms extended on blocks. So, you're telling me putting a defensive tackle right over his nose, which is what he'll see more at center than he would at guard, and having to snap the ball and then still get his hands up and deal with those types of players uh, is going to be a good thing for him. I'm definitely skeptical of that. You know, I, I wish him all the best. I hope it works out for him, whatever position he wants to play. But, yeah, I mean, the Cowboys made it clear, even during the season this year, that Williams wasn't going to have much of a future at guard here. And I don't think he would have done you know, the team or himself any favors if he tried to step up and, and rescue that by uh, by going over to center. They they gave those reps to Tyra Biotis and seemed to like what he did. And, you know, he went through his struggles too, but it seemed like he learned from him better and developed as a player. And now he's going to have uh, two, you know, pretty imposing guards of Zach Martin and Tyler Smith next to him. So there's reason to think Biotis has a lot of good football ahead of him. 
And the same could be said about Connor Williams, whether he's playing guard or center now of the Dolphins. But this idea that he's going to be a great center uh, you know, at the moment, I don't really see it. Well, what's interesting about it is that the Cowboys tried him at center during OTAs in 2021. And they were doing it just like they do everything. Like Tyler Smith plays left tackle, even though he's going to play left guard this year. Just determining the versatility of their personnel. So they did try Connor Williams at center. And he got snaps at center in training camp. And, you know, he said on July 27th, 20, I mean, July 25th, 2021 out at Oxnard, he said, quote, hopefully I'll never have to play center this year, but I may have to for a game (laughs) or two, unquote. But, oh, hey, in Miami, I I can't wait to play center. Yeah, I don't get it. They got to stick to like F1 races down there or something, man. I don't don't know what's going on with the football team. I think that they, they did try everything with Connor Williams. And like I said, folks, they tried. Connor Williams at center going back to OTAs of last year. So with Connor Williams playing center or whatever with the dolphins, uh, you know, that's them just seeing what type of versatility they have. And I think that he's just being extra confident. I don't think that they're going to play Connor Williams at center. Um, But that could, you know, center since Frederick left, I mean, that's just kind of a problem area for the Cowboys. Um, Tyler Biotic, he's a he's a starter for you, but I don't know if he's going to earn that second contract, so to speak. Yeah, Biotic this offseason kind of fell in that second tier of you know positions where it's like, oh, in a perfect world, if we re-signed all of our guys and we were running it back with the same team that went to the wild card round, then maybe you start looking at upgrades because you don't really know you know what else you need to do. But as soon as you know things started hitting the fan here with the offseason and you started losing those starters in a wild card game and big time starters at that and I'd take, oh Amari Cooper's gone, Cedric Wilson's gone, Iowa Collins is gone. The artists went comfortably into that kind of second tier where it's like we'd like to upgrade, but we know what we have in him. We know it's good enough. It's serviceable. We still think there's more potential there. He's an ascending player. The Cowboys certainly believe that. So you know, once he was in that category, um and they didn't get a chance to draft Tyler Lindenbaum, then you know, he was pretty locked in as a, at that starting center position. So you can, you know, discredit them all you want for putting a lot of those positions in that second category, as I've called it, and not doing more to retain, you know, the talent that they had a chance at and then get better because of that by upgrading some of those spots. But, you know, it worked out, it seems, for the left guard position because, yeah, they could have kept Connor Williams as just a guard and he would have said, oh, hopefully I don't have to play center, but it wouldn't have been a reason for him to play center here. So, they did open up that hole knowing that they also had the Amari Cooper situation going on and Collins and everything else. So that was one that they added to the list, confident enough that they could fix it, and then they did in the first round. So, you know, in that situation, it worked out. But to think that they were going to be able to do that at both guard and center in the same offseason with, with everything else going on, uh, that's just not how it worked out. All right, let's go ahead and get to the Cowboys' birthdays this week. On Monday, cornerback Nathan Jones is a grown man. He turns 40 years old, and he's from Scotch Plains, New Jersey. Sean, where's that at? 
That's actually a really good area for high school football. It's kind of like the north central part of the state, not too far from where I went to college in Montclair. And yeah, really good hotbed area for high school teams up in the north there, a very competitive area. And I feel like we've had a lot of New Jersey natives popping up on the Cowboys' birthdays. So that's been cool. But Scotts Plains is a nice little area up in the north part of the state. Yeah, Nate Jones, he is tied with Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers because he knocked Brett Favre out of the game uh, in that Week 13 matchup with the Green Bay Packers on Thursday Night Football in 2007. Knocked Brett Favre out of the game in the second quarter. Aaron Rodgers comes in, and you have a uh, virtual back and forth, but Dallas prevailed 37-27, but then the next year, uh, Favre retires, and McCarthy and the Packers are like, hey, we're going with Aaron Rodgers, and go to the Jets, Brett. But it wouldn't have happened without Nate Jones. <laughs> On Tuesday, Rico Doddle, the running back, turns 24 years old. Yeah, Doddle, uh, unlikely to do much during minicamp, dealing with some, just uh, some precautionary injury work there, so... You know, again, not much of a big deal as far as what he would bring. You know, he's going to have a role here potentially, we think, as a RB3 type of player and plenty of time for him to get back in the swing of things. In that role, the Cowboys like what they have and all the running backs from Ezekiel Elliott all the way down with Tony Pollard being the two-man there, of course. So Rico Dowdle has a chance here. I put out an article at bloggingtheboys.com today. You can go check that out about if you're going to rebuild the Cowboys' offense – with all players just from the NFC East. And, you know, I did it as a way to see, you know, how, how close these other teams are to the Cowboys by saying how many other players would you borrow from these teams that you think are better than the Cowboys' current starters. And so for the running back position, I kept Elliott and Pollard, of course. I think they're not only, you know, the best one-two punts in the division, but probably one-two punts in the entire NFL. You know, you can make an argument if you want to be unrealistic about it. You could put Elliott and then Saquon Barkley together. But I wanted to do it like a real depth chart. So it was Elliott, Tony Pollard, and then, unfortunately, Fabrico Dowdle. Happy birthday to him, but I didn't put him on this team. Uh, I put Boston Scott from the Eagles as the third running back to take his spot there. But luckily for him, he doesn't have to worry about Boston Scott coming over. Uh, Dan Quinn has to worry about Boston Scott, and Dowdle has the RB3 job pretty much in hand here. Yeah, and if you want to hear comprehensive NFC East talk, listen to the NFC East mixtape with RJ Ochoa and Brandon Lee Gowton on Wednesdays on the Blog and the Boys podcast network. And on Friday, Amari Cooper turns 28 years old, and that, I think, shows you just how old he is, uh, especially considering he came in the league in 2015. He's going to turn 28 years old. I think it was kind of time to move on from Cooper. Yeah, just not consistent enough, not, you know, the dominant type of wide receiver one that the Cowboys are really clamoring for in this offense anymore. He certainly was when they brought him in, and they certainly could have, you know, squeezed more out of him, we think, schematically to maybe make him that player again. But now, you know, that task falls on the Browns. You have to figure out a lot of other things in that offense as well right now. So I know Cowboys fans will be keeping a close eye on Cooper. They seem to follow their departed free agents more than any other uh, fan base it feels like to me so we all know that every time Cooper makes a highlight for the Browns this year Cowboys fans are going to know about it and we'll be hearing about it oh for sure for sure and then on Sunday Mike Renfro played receiver for the Cowboys from 84 to 87 he turned 67 years old but he's more remembered for playing for the Houston Oilers and he caught 
what would have been a touchdown catch that would have tied the game against the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 79 AFC Championship game, but it was ruled out of bounds, although replay showed he did get both feet in bounds. But, hey, that's Mike Renfro's Oilers career. Played for the Cowboys, turned 67 years old. Those are your Cowboys' birthdays. Another good oysters always. Like I said, I feel like we've had a good amount of New Jersey natives. I didn't know about popping up on this. That's always cool to hear about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely going to have the Jersey boys on here. Uh, You know, just like how one of these days I'm going to have a pork roll, cheddar cheese, fried egg, bacon, no pickles with ketchup sandwich. (laughs) That reminds me, though, I I was thinking throughout this show, one, if the pork roll sandwich is going to make it back in, and it just did, but two, as I get closer to my Montana trip that I've mentioned on here, and I am going to meet another fellow New Jersey native out there. He's been out there long enough, I think four or five years at this point. Um, I'm going to have to ask him, you know, hey, have you found a good place for pork roll yet? Uh, you know, you've had your time. It might, it might be impossible. It might not exist in four years. This might not be, you know, you could give him 40 years and it just might not be out there. But if it is out there, he's had his time to go find it. And I, I would love to uh, go get one of those sandwiches out in Montana. So I'm going to have to ask him if, he, if he's found the Jersey delicacy that is the pork roll I can see is yet all the way out in the western part of Montana. Oh, well, yeah. And if, for me, if I want to go do it and cover the Jason Garrett th- uh, Starfish Charities Camp, that's June 18th. So that's next week. We'll see if I make it out to Princeton. Oh, you got to get on this, man. Yeah, yeah, I got to get on this. Uh, yeah, Princeton has a lot of good restaurants, man, just for like, you know, every meal of the day. Like the pork roll thing, we can send you almost anywhere for it. But yeah, if you stick to the Princeton area at night, yeah, you can have a, a great dinner in that area and all that. So, uh yeah, Princeton's an exciting place to uh, to go check out, no doubt. All right, he's actually uh, – maybe I could get it if I go to the leadership forum at the Nassau Inn in Princeton. You think they'll have one there? Nassau Inn, yeah, I'm not really familiar with that, to be honest. But uh, yeah, if you, I'll tell you this. If you if you make it all the way into the Garden State, you know, just give me a call. I'll be happy to point you in any, any direction you need to go to uh, to go take care of some things. I mean, what better month to be in New Jersey, too? It's, it's probably peak beach season right now. I've been missing the salt water a little bit, to be honest with myself. Uh, you know, the lake and everything here in Austin's great, but I don't know how much of a beach guy you are, but to be able to go jump in the salt water is always nice. So you can do that as well, and uh, we'll point you to where you need to go down there. We're up there. Ah, sounds good. Hey, and we'll point you in the direction to follow us on the Hidden Yardage podcast. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. We're part of the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. Find Sean on Twitter at Sean Martin NFL. Find me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. You've been listening to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. So there it is. Yeah.